Hello, and welcome to Build Momentum, where we help education organizations blow past their competitors with strategies that make an impact. We think beyond traditional press releases and generic communication tactics and seek out big, bold ideas to create meaningful results for our clients. I'm your host, Sarah Williamson, and I've spent more than 15 years in public relations for the education sector, where our team has learned what works and what doesn't when it comes to PR. From launching groundbreaking new industry awards to landing sought-after panels at the most prestigious shows, we absolutely love this stuff. But the best part is we have an opportunity to interview some of the smartest people we know who share their knowledge and strategies for success right here on the show. If you enjoy what you hear, we would so appreciate if you please take a moment to drop us a review on whatever platform you listen. And if you want to learn more about us, visit swpr-group.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Let's dive into the show. On today's episode, we have Dr. Quentin Shepard, the superintendent at Victoria Independent School District in Victoria, Texas. Welcome, Quentin. Hi there. Good to be back. Yes, it's so good to have you back on the show. I think Doug Roberts, the founder of the Institute for Education Innovation, introduced us just over a year ago, last February. And I'm so grateful that he did. Shout out to Doug Roberts. Serendipitous. I know. So there's a very special reason you're back on the show today, which I want to get into in a minute. But first, do you mind sharing more about your journey in education and how you land on the superintendency? I know at a very young age, you talked to us about that. Yeah, indeed. I, I My certification for my original teaching uh, job in a school was pre-K through 12 music teacher. Now, that was not my first job. One of the things that I like to brag about, my very first job with school was actually as a school custodian. I was a summer custodian, just uh, like my grandfather. My grandfather was a full-time custodian and farmer at night and in the mornings. And so you know, to start out as a custodian and then become a teacher, which my mom was a teacher. It's just, uh, it was incredibly fulfilling. And I was in a very small rural school in Illinois. So I got to see the four-year-olds at pre-K and five-year-olds. And then I'd see the 18-year-olds in the same day sometimes. And always amazed at how the four-year-olds could be more mature than the 18-year-olds. But it was a good, it was, oh, a great, funny. it was a great learning lesson. And the truth is I took away from that, that like so much of what we have to do in education is in fact sell what it is that we're teaching. And that really governed a lot of the way I started as a leader. From there, I was an elementary principal in a different district and did that for a bit. And then I was a high school principal and did that for a bit. And then found myself as a superintendent at 27 years old, if you believe that, in central Illinois. And it was an amazing, awesome experience. I had like the most amazing board that you could possibly work for at the time. And they let me grow and try some stuff. From there, I ended up just outside of Chicago, the first suburb that you would drive into if you left the city heading northwest. That was Spokane, Illinois. All kinds of fun, but totally different. I mean, the nature of the work that I did as a superintendent in an urban community that was pretty dense as compared to the work that I was doing you know, in a rural community was just night and day. Wouldn't even believe it's the same job. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it. And then from there, I was recruited to Iowa and spent some time in Iowa as a superintendent in a high-performing district and then recruited to Texas. So this is now going into 18 years. Of That's pretty incredible. I love that story. So also, I think you left out that aren't you like an incredible pianist? I think I saw her. Yeah, yes. I do. I play. I don't know about incredible. You know, I do. I play piano and sing. That was my thing. And I, and I did that sort of through high school and loved it so much that I decided to chase it as my passion and my genius. And, and that's what I did awesome. as a music teacher, too. And I still do it now. When we celebrate our convocation and have, you know, the thousands and thousands of employees come together, one of my favorite, favorite things I get to do, because we talk a lot about this in my district, is just like 
we use the word genius. Everybody has a unique and personal genius, and we think people should find their genius and chase their genius and let their genius shine. And so one of the things I get to do is share my genius by, you know, playing and singing. So we put together a blues band and we just rock it out at during convocation, which is just a, it's a hoot. I bet people love that. I bet they love to see you. Well, I do. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what it's all about. You know, as long as you're having fun, other people are usually too. That's right. <laughs> that's awesome. So, okay. Let's talk about Victoria IST for a minute. So you are doing some incredible things there. Can you just hit some high level projects that you've kicked off the ground that are imp- I know there's so many yeah, things. We've secured millions, literally millions of dollars in funding to deploy several different schools within a schools and some of our focus schools and just having amazing success with our kids within that model. We launched a few P-TECH high school, school within a schools for our kids and getting great things about that. But one of my proudest things, at least in the last few months, I'm going to tell this story in a little bit more detail because it's just so much of, as an example of what we do at ISD and how we think of ISD. We run up against this debacle, and I love the word debacle. I wrote about this on a LinkedIn post not too long ago, but like we ran into this major debacle in that one of our middle schools became infested with mold literally days before the start of school. And so we had to displace an entire middle school, and we don't have extra campuses just sitting around. And so all of those kiddos ended up at what is our credit recovery camp. A credit recovery, if I'm going to be just very, very blunt and overstated, is for kids who have not amassed credits as they work their way through high school. And so they're very much in danger of potentially dropping out of school or not being able to complete high school and get their diploma. We had to move all these middle school kids onto that campus, which displaced all of our credit recovery kids. Now, we found some space for some of them, but we didn't have enough space for all of them. And then through just a wonderful conversation with the local community college president, she said, hey, I've got six classrooms that we're not using right now, and potentially we could house some of your students since you're going to bind in a pinch. So we sat down and had breakfast together, and it ended up in one of those idea-generating, brainstorming breakfasts where we posed this wonder question. I love wonder questions. Like, wonder questions drive innovation. Wonder questions drive education and, and great big leaps forward. And the wonder question was... What have we said to these kids who are potentially in the risk of dropout track that like, we want to try again, like we want another chance at the merry-go-round. And what if we gave you the golden ticket and said, we're going to give you more supports than you've ever had in your entire life. And we'd love to be able to enroll you in a college class. We're not going to charge you a penny. We'll cover the cost of college because we want to see what happens when we enroll you in college and you become a college student. So we had 120 kids who were potentially dropouts of that 120 kids. 120 kids are now enrolling in college. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I'm not aware of any other district in the country that has done something like this. This is our kids. We got to take a handful of them to a governance camp. So they stood up in front of trustees from around the state of Texas. And one girl just like, oh, it was all I could do to not just sob. She said, you know, a year ago, I was a single mother. I was destined to drop out of school. And I'm now in college. And that's pretty cool. And I'm like, my work here is like, I know. this is why we get into education. It's so, so powerful. But it was just, it took creative thinking, took not being afraid of failure. It took being willing to embrace innovation, being willing to embrace the possibility of what might be. I love that. And it's kind of a good segue into what we're going to talk about next. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like the pillars of your leadership that you've honed over the years and speaking of that, we just launched a book, The Secret to Transformational Leadership, that we're releasing this next week at ASU GSB. And we're so happy. Yay. Let's do a little shout out to us. Yay. 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 <laughs> Woo! So happy. And it's beautiful. And Quentin, so you crafted the leadership framework and artfully share 
this new language of leadership in every chapter. And together with that, I wrote the case studies on transformational leaders who are putting your philosophies into practice. But I would love today for you to share why you felt so compelled to write this book and what you hope people will achieve when they read it. So why I was so compelled to write the book was because, you know, over this 18-year career as a superintendent, we're taught to do leadership in a certain way. And we read all these leadership books in preparation. We watch other leaders who came before us. And so much of what leaders, the lang- literally the language that leaders use is very much transactional. And there are places in our job and there's places in our work where, where we have to be transactional. And transactional is not a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. Transactional is required necessary component of our work. But there's other stuff that we want to do or that we could be doing, we might be doing right? Like what I just described with our kids, and that's not transactional. What happened in that space was totally transformational, 100% transformational. And what I noticed was that there was like, I would talk to all these people. I'm just, a, I like to, I'm a connector. I like being connected to other leaders. And, and it doesn't matter if they're in education or outside of education. And I realized that there are people who are actually doing transformational work are using slightly different language. And I thought, oh, this is fascinating. What they call it is like code switching, right? Between these two different. And so I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Like there's this thing that's happening in transactional spaces. And then there's this thing that's happening in transformational spaces. So I spent like a decade ruminating on this. And and I realized there's this list of words that's really, really long. And there's no way I could get through all of it in the book. But I thought to myself, what if I could get just a few of these like conceptual phrases and say, here's how you use this word in a transactional space. And here's the antithesis of that, that phrase. Like, here's the same thing that you're trying to accomplish, but in a transformational space. And, and so my goal was to make it as approachable as possible for people, that there's a recognition that there's like this theoretical underpinning, that you basically are trying to learn a different language when you're doing the work of transformational leadership. Yeah, I love this. And I feel like, okay, so it sounds like it was over a decade, you were kind of mulling this over and honing this language. But were there any specific examples of moments where you had said, okay, I got it. This has to change. I got to do something about this. For sure. Like the first half of my career, maybe the first <laughs> 10 years of my career, like every time there was a catastrophic failure, which I don't really want to get into like the whole, like, let's unpack Quentin and do a psychological thing on him right now. But like basically anytime there was a failure, it was because I was going to do something transformational and it backfired. And the one example, I guess, that immediately rises to top of mind was my second superintendency. And it was this cultural thing, and it was a religious thing, and it was around Halloween. And we was making some decisions about celebrations in the classroom. And like, I was doing it, and I cared about my community and wanted to do every part of it right. And like, it totally exploded on me in a way that I never, ever wanted it to happen. And I'm like, I didn't have the language to do that thing that my community needed me to do. And the funny thing was the next year, slight modification, did the exact same thing a second time and nobody said a word. And I'm like, oh, and that was about the time where the pivot started to happen. And then the second half of my career, all I can do is tell stories of success where this was a time when I recognized that transformational was needed. This is a time when I recognized one of the other words that I use a lot is complex. This is a complex situation. And so we're going to use a different type of language and a different approach. And then it's been an enormous success. And frankly, we've had some amazing successes that when we tell people, we did this thing and we made this really, really hard decision. And folks are like, there's no conceivable reality that that's actually the way that it went. I'll give a good example. We rezoned here in Victoria. We rezoned like two thirds of the district. 
that's like telling people that they're going to go to new schools and new cut lines and the whole bit, right? Like this is something that it's in the top three things that gets most superintendents fired. When we went through the process, because we recognized that it was complex, and so we wanted the community to take ownership in the decision, we used our transformational language, that when we went through the process and you have the great big community forum in the auditorium where you expect thousands and thousands of people to show up, we gave the presentation and we get to the end of the presentation and we, we said, okay, now it's the open mic moment, the moment where you panic. We're like, does anybody have any real questions? And not a single person got up. Not one, not one person. And then when it came time for the board to enact the plan, two people spoke. One person was against it because it just had negative ramifications for his family. And the other person got up and said, thank you for the process. Wow. And I was like, okay, that's that never happens anywhere. Like there's nobody who's ever going to believe that that was the reality of our situation. But that's how it went. I know. Good thing you wrote a book and we're teaching a course on this. And you can adopt <laughs> it too. This is indeed, indeed. It took a lot. It takes a lot of practice. Yes, exactly. Well, I'm so glad you're here to share your experiences because it's clearly valuable. Okay, so Quentin, I don't want to give too much away, but the secret to transformational leadership might be compassion. <laughs> it might be compassion. Yes. So, would you share more about your philosophy of competent to compassionate and how that's really transformed your personal approach? Yeah, for sure. So competent and compassionate, again, these are terms that juxtapose against one another. I'll talk about competence first. And in the transactional space, this is when we judge people as being good or bad. And you have to, like, you have to be competent at this thing. You have to be competent at bond financing or, or whatever the complicated work is that we do in the school district. And in order to do that work, you have to use transactional language. We, we need these certain things to happen in this way. And it, it needs to be good. I should be judged as good, good or bad on some of these complicated things that we do. But when we use the competence language, specifically judgment language, in the transformational space, we've set ourselves up for failure. You can't be transformational and be using competence-based language. And so you have to use different language. And the opposite of competence, in my mind, is the opposite of judgment. And so the way you take away judgment is to embrace somebody else's suffering. Now, that sounds easy at, at first because you say to yourself, oh, we just need some empathy. That's not it. That doesn't get you there. You see, empathy is that feeling that I know that you're suffering. I understand your suffering and I hear your suffering. But compassion, passion means to suffer. Compassion means to suffer with. So what it really, what re compassion requires is empathy plus action. It's like, I'm feeling your pain right now. I'm feeling your suffering and I want to do something about it. You see, and if you approach your community with true compassion in your heart and say, I want to hear your suffering around rezoning the district. I want to hear your suffering around potentially having new closed schools, something else we've done. Now I want to hear your suffering around creating a pandemic response plan. And people share their suffering and then you share your suffering. As a leader, I don't, I don't actually know what to do. Nobody's ever been in a pandemic before with all these technology tools that we have at our disposal. And I'm not sure what's the best way to educate kids during a pandemic. And oh, by the way, I'm trying to feed half the community because we can't close down our schools and not feed people. And I don't have devices. And like I shared my suffering. And the community is like, oh, we're going to totally embrace that suffering and see what happens. Compassion creates ownership. And it seems so simple and it seems so easy as I'm saying it. But what it requires is that the leader step back and just be honest about one thing. And that one thing is that you're vulnerable. You don't choose to be vulnerable. You don't pick a time to be vulnerable. You're just vulnerable. Accept it. And then when you do and you recognize a situation for complex and unknowable, you have no choice but to be compassionate. 
Because if you decide to be competent, whatever it is that you do, you will be judged and you will be judged harshly. Are you an education leader, the leader of an ed tech company, or a member of an organization supporting education? We continue to hear from leaders like you who have a story to tell, a message to share, or an important initiative that needs greater awareness. Three years ago, that's exactly what we heard from Doug Roberts, the CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation, when he approached SWPR Group. This led to the launch of a groundbreaking new award that was unlike any other in EdTech. The Soup's Choice Awards, judged exclusively by K-12 superintendents, set IEI on a path to market dominance, increasing vendor partners and superintendent members by more than 30% year over year. Jamie Candy, the CEO of Edmentum, shared with SWPR Group the EdTech company's desire to tell district success stories and to elevate the leaders behind their organization in a more thoughtful and strategic way. Throughout the past two years, SWPR Group has established consistent and regular media coverage, authored compelling op-eds, and secured interviews highlighting success stories while also inserting momentum into timely topics like AI with national reporters. At SWPR Group, we provide public relations, communication strategies, and thought leadership support for today's change makers and the brands they champion. We work together with our clients to bring their mission to life by consistently delivering high quality content, creative communication strategies, and transformational results. What story do you want to tell? Reach out to us using the link in the show notes or visit our website at swpr-group.com. Yeah, I love this. Thank you. Okay, so you kind of touched on this in the beginning, but I would love for you to describe what you call this new language of leadership and how does this have the potential to ignite a spark for both leaders, not just leaders though, aspiring leaders and even their teams and people who are reporting to them. And you did touch on this, but I just want to go a little bit deeper on that. Yeah, for sure. So the way that I get into it with superintendents when I talk about it, and the way that I hope we can get into it when we, when we launch this class is that we have to back up and recognize that there's only two types of decisions that come to my desk. And frankly, I think there's only two types of decision that comes to any leader's desk. And when I say leader, I'm talking big, broad stroke leader on this thing. Like my personal definition for leadership and get into this a bit, but my personal definition of leadership is just, it's an influence relationship. That's it. So anybody can be a leader. My expectation is teachers are leaders and principals are leaders, and students are leaders and community members are leaders. And so just know that I'm talking about pretty much everyone. But in a leadership position, you only get two types of decision. They're either complicated or complex. Complicated things have one right answer and one right way to do it. And that should be your trigger point to say, oh, I'm in the world of transactional, competence, hierarchies, power, like all the rest of the stuff that I go through in the book is noted by the fact that you're dealing with something that's complicated. The the opposite of complicated is complex. Complex issues are inherently unknowable. You just can't know the answer to it. I've already alluded to some of them today. When's the best day to run a bond campaign? What's the right amount to run a bond campaign? Uh, How much should we run a bond campaign for? The, The list of complex questions is almost endless, right? And depending on what layer of the organization you happen to sit in, you may deal with more complex issues or more complicated issues. doesn't really matter. I think it's just a function of the organization that you work for and the position that you hold. But that notion that it's something is complex should tell you, I need to be using transformational language at this point. 
which changes how you even approach the conversation with your community. Because if it's complicated, you're going to do some work and then present it to the community as opposed to complex. Start with compassion. You can't start with an answer. If you start with an answer, you've said to the community, I'm smarter than you are. I have some sort of privileged knowledge and I'm asking you to subordinate your will. How horrible does it sound? But that's essentially what leaders are doing all the time. We see it on TV. We see it from our national political leaders. We see it from state leaders. We see it from local leaders. And I'm like, man, what a missed opportunity. Because they trot out there and say, I need for you to subordinate your will. I have some privilege for your reality that you don't have. And I'm like, how wildly offensive is that? And then everybody, you know, they pull that sidearm out of their holster, which is their cell phone. They immediately hop on Google, right? And they're searching these complex issues. And they're like, you might not be the smartest person in the world, Mr. or Mrs. Leader. How do you account for that? And so I just see it as just like the single most important decision happens at that first moment when you recognize something is complicated or or complex. And then that should dictate the language and the approach and the the notions of power and the notions of hierarchies versus networks and on and on and on and on. All of that to say that it's just incumbent on the leader to stop and think. Like that's the hard part because it's fast and furious for leadership all the time. And you just have to pause. So I hope for people who are sitting in leadership positions now to say, oh, wow, this makes sense to me. I've seen places where it worked. I've seen places in my own past where it hasn't worked, where it failed. And like, I'd like to do better. I'd like to do, I'd like to have opportunities where I can do transformational work in a way that can be really meaningful and powerful. And for people who are aspiring into leadership positions, I hope that they say to themselves, oh, this framework allows me to understand everything I've ever read about leadership in all my preparation courses, but it also gives me some language that I can use that embraces the fact that we live in a digital world that's inherently complex and getting more complex and gives me some language that allows me to be transformational as well. Yeah. And some of those leaders that we profile in the book, they might pop in on the course and share their experiences and others we know too, they're going to all kind of share their ideas and thoughts and how this looks in real life for them too. Yeah. My secret hope is, you know, I know for a fact that there are other leaders who've been practicing their own language. Like all the people we feature in the book are people who I've met somewhere along the way, or you've met somewhere along the way, who've kind of developed their language around this. And so, you know, so much of what I've picked up on, I've like taken from somebody else who's like, oh, it sort of feels very tribal, right? Like, like we're nomads out there and we go meet this tribe of people who's doing this interesting thing with this leader. And I'm like, oh, that's some language I want to learn. And then you go meet a different tribe with a different leader and you're like, here's some language. And so my point being, I think there's lots of leaders out here who have mastered bits and pieces of this language. And my hope is that we can start to bring more and more leaders like this together in a space where we can define it and map it even further. I mean, this is a first step. Like this really, truly is a first step to a conceptualization and potentially a reconceptualization about how we talk about leadership. Yep. And you started it, Quentin. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you talk about leading from the middle. Will you share more about what that means to you and how others can apply it? Yeah, this actually goes all the way back to my teaching career. I think it was in preparation classes for either my principalship or my superintendency. But I had a professor, this was like long time ago. So please forgive the fact that it's actually going to be like a physical demonstration of sorts. This was not computers and digital and whatever. But this teacher, professor of mine, he had this model, like a three-dimensional, it was a pyramid. He had a pyramid. He was making a point in his lecture about broad community. And then the next layer of that pyramid were parents and constituents. And then the next layer were, you know, teachers. And I think he had students in there somewhere, principals and the superintendent. And he was making this like series of 
points about like how does information get to the superintendent how does information get to the community and they, he was talking a little bit about power and so it's really interesting you know kind of way of and it was a good demonstration model it was a good demonstration model but as i'm saying it i'm sure you're like cringing and saying it's totally transactional like it's totally hierarchical it's totally built on these power dynamics and everything else but Just the word power the word power yeah right but hopefully you're visualizing this pyramid because what comes next is really important. In my mind, I couldn't help but take that pyramid and turn it so that I was looking down on the pyramid. And I was like, wouldn't it be better if the superintendent was in the middle and like principal leadership or community leadership and then teachers and so on and so forth. And there's these concentric circles, just simply taking that pyramid and tipping it so you're looking on top. And I was like, there it is. You see, there it is. And here's why this matters. Thinking, and I've kind of developed it from there. It's what I call the Conan cube. It's a dumb little visual trick. It's sometimes how you help people realize the multiple perspectives on the same issue. So let's say we're dealing with some issue that's got a lot of contention in the community and so on and so forth. And let's say that I took a cone and I put it inside a cardboard box. Then I punched a hole in the top and I punched a hole in the side. Then if I asked you to look in from the side and tell me what you see, you'd say triangle. And if I Ask somebody else to look in on the top and tell me what they see. They'd say a circle. It's a cone. They're looking down on it. All they see is a circle. And so two people are looking at the exact same thing, right? But from slightly different perspectives, and they're seeing something totally different. So here's the rub. They're both right and they're both wrong. And that's what happens in leadership is that we're using transactional language when we should be using transformational language or vice versa. And we're confusing people along the way. We're asking them to judge us at times where judgment is the very last thing that we need. And it basically all came from this notion of leadership from the middle and that there's multiple perspectives on how we view leadership. Oh, Quentin, so great to have you back. I was so excited about the book. Thank you so much. And let's not wait a year before you come back on the show. About that. <laughs> I think that's very smart. That's very smart. Okay. All right. So listeners, be sure to grab your copy of The Secret to Transformational Leadership. It's now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble online. And we're also going to have a Compassionate Leader Certification Program, the course we're talking about launching later this spring, early summer. And you can sign up to receive updates about the course on our website or check out our book at transformationalleadershipsecret.com. Quentin, thank you so much. I will talk with you soon and I'll see you at ASU GSB. Sounds good, Sarah. Good to see you. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review, we'd be so grateful. This helps other listeners find and learn about our show. And please reach out if you're interested in learning more about how we can elevate the leaders of your organization with our PR services. If you'd like, you can even shoot me a direct email at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H at S-W-P-R-Group.com. I look forward to hearing from you and we will see you next time.